Hello, and welcome to the Fantastic Comic Fan Podcast. I am your host, R.T. Fleming. I'm here to help you find your next digital pick from the golden age to the present. Since I was a kid, I have been reading comics, and I have never lost my love of comic books. I try to pass on that excitement for comic books to others, always looking for that next fantastic read, or discovering an old favorite. I would like to welcome back Alan Stewart. He does an amazing blog called Attack of the 50-Year-Old Comic Books. Um, He was here in the past, and we did January through March of 1972, and we're going to continue 1972 because I think it's a fun year. And as I keep saying, every comic book from any age should be fun and enjoyable for the most part if read during the context of the times. You know, you you don't read a Bronze Age book as you do a comic book today. Wouldn't you agree, Alan? I would agree. It's yeah, you it helps to be in the mindset you know, of, of the time and to realize that artistic styles, writing styles, you know, different trends that that affect that contextualize uh, an old comic book like it like they do an old movie or you know uh, an old record or whatever. That's a great example. An old movie, you know, you look at the old movie or old record that you know from the old days and you go, oh yeah. And you and you listen to it for the context of the time, and you don't expect a modern vibe or a right. modern thing to it. Right. So we are going to pick up with April 1972, and something okay. really cool was happening in the Batman mythos. Why don't you tell us what was going on? Yes, Batman had been sort of dancing around with this villain uh, named Rashal Ghoul. Who's that? Rashal Rashal Ghoul. However, you <laughs> yeah. Never. I don't know that that the people who created him, uh, writer Denny O'Neill, editor Julia Schwartz, and uh, and artist Neil Adams. I don't know that they ever knew exactly how to pronounce it. So, I've, but I've heard it as Rash, and I've heard it as Ras. Yes. Uh, but it means the demon's head. Uh, it's Arabic for the demon's head. And anyway, he's up. He was probably the first major villain that had been introduced uh, in the Batman comics for for quite a while. He was the head of the head of an international criminal organization. He had a beautiful daughter named Talia, who uh, was strongly attracted to Batman and vice versa. But at any rate, he had been introduced a year earlier in April 1971 in Batman 232. And since then, he he'd popped up several times, but there hadn't been really a full-out battle, conflict, confrontation uh, between the characters. And then in Batman 242 began a multi-part storyline, three parts, four parts, kind of depending on where you consider the storyline to end. Well, and that was kind of unusual back then because most of the Batman detective, especially DC in general, they really didn't do continued stories. They usually were done in one. So they have a multi-part story and much more now, but Roz and Talia I'm much more integrated not only into the Batman mythos, but into the whole DC comic mythos as a whole. So this really does act as a good starting point to really get to the core of this sure. of these characters and this sure. whole thing as a story. Wouldn't right. you agree? Yeah, I absolutely. It is I I consider it one of the defining storylines of Batman in the period we call the Bronze Age of Comics. It just it establishes so much of the lore associated with those characters. It still regularly gets called back to in the comics, TV shows, movies, basically uh, anything that re- that references these characters. It tends to draw on this material. As I said, Denny O'Neill wrote it all, 
uh, Irv Novick or Novick, another name I'm not sure how to say. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, Potato Potato. Same uh, yeah. Thing. It's the artist on this first chapter that uh, came out in April. And then after that, Neil Adams took over. And again, just some of the most just, uh, yeah, just sort of I, iconic imagery relating to those characters. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this cover of Batman was actually drawn by Kaluta. Yes, Michael Kaluta. Which is uh, kind of different because you expect yeah. Neil Adams to do it. And it's a really cool cover because it's got Batman with the moon in the background. Right. Over a tombstone that says, Bruce Wayne, rest in peace. Yeah, it's, it's a great cover. And it's interesting because uh, pretty much up until this issue, I think Neil Adams had drawn like every cover for Batman or Detective like for the last several years. Yes. Except for like a few like giant size issues that were reprints where they would have sort of collage covers, pretty much everything else Neil Adams had done. And this is sort of the beginning of when Adams is sort of starting to, to pull back some from his very prolific uh, comic book work. But anyway, so it's, it was a nice opportunity for, for Michael Coluta, who's just sort of coming along then. We talked, I think, uh, last time about his work on Carson of Venus yes. uh, in Korak, Son of Tarzan. He'd done some work in the... Um, at the the horror books like House of Mystery, and we continue to do that. Uh, he had the shadow coming up, but that's not for another year. So yeah, it was an, it's yeah, it was, it's a terrific cover. And, and this issue of Batman also was one of their uh, DC experiments. It was a forty-eight page comic book for twenty-five cents. It's the it's the last one. Yeah, it is the last one. Yes, it is. It's it's the last one. That's and yeah, it, DC did the twenty-five cent forty-eight page experiment, which was. Pretty much your your standard amount of comic book pages in terms of new material, maybe a few more. I think maybe twenty six pages was the was the was the top it ever got to in in most most uh, most issues. That was, a, but it was like the rest of it was reprint. And they did this for eleven months. They started in June of nineteen seventy one and went up uh, through April. The reason there's that this is the last one for Batman is that there wasn't an, an issue of, of Batman and they skipped May. But at any rate, DC, DC goes, goes through, through May with this. And then finally uh, had to, I guess, admit defeat and uh, revert to the old standard 32 page size at the co- cost of 20 cents, which was five cents less than you'd been paying. Right. But five cents more than you had been paying for that exact same amount of content in say may of 1971 yeah and i don't think at that time marvel had actually raised their prices up yet Mar- well, what marvel had done actually was some people say it was it was intentional and i don't know how intentional it was but uh originally marvel followed suit dc jumped to 25 cents and 48 pages in uh june of 1971 marvel went to 25 cents with a few titles in July and then August the entire line went to 25 cents 48 pages all new material or almost all new material almost new material almost then and then in September it was 20 cents and back at the old size so basically and within like two or three months they 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 raised prices five cents for the same amount of material but but still you know, we're able to say it's like oh you know now only 20 cents. Right. You know, after a, a month or two months at 25 cents. Um, they actually got in some prop some trouble with, I'm digressing a bit, but they oh, actually okay. they actually got in some trouble with with the federal government. 
really in terms of like the, there was supposed to be like a wage and price freeze and they got they got dinged by whoever whatever commission or whatever was in, was in charge of of monitoring that because it was like it looked because it, they appeared to have raised their prices five cents and then they argued no well we raised them 10 cents before the freeze went into effect and then we dropped them five cents and it was like no, no. they ended That's they cool. ended up having to they produced an issue of Fantastic Four, and I can't give you the, the number. They produced an issue of Fantastic Four that had like four pages of John Bushima like pinup art. Right. Uh, I do of, remember of the character that. of the characters, like it's on slick paper in the back. And that was like that was their penance to the government <laughs> to, you know, to include this extra material and I guess what was supposed to be their best-selling title or one of their best-selling titles at no cost to the consumer. Speaking of Marvel, a certain yeah. doctor was uh, getting back into the spotlight again with Doctor yeah. Strange. Doctor Strange, yeah, I think most most people probably have heard of him. <laughs> yeah, he he gets. That still amazes me that he's had two major motion pictures and been in a lot more than that. But yeah, he in um, 1972, April of 72, uh, they were just hoping that they could get him back in a regular series. You know, don't nobody's thinking about like movies or TV or anything like that with this guy. I mean, Dr. Strange had been canceled in, in 1969. Yeah. Um, so strange that, you know, he was so popular and all of a sudden he was done and <laughs> nobody could figure out what to do with him for a while. Right. They basically, they had, his, his series had been canceled. They'd wrapped up the storyline that was in that, that, uh, that was running in a series at the time it was canceled in a couple of issues of, um, one of Submariner, one of Hulk. And then, then like he retired at the end of the Hulk issue. It was like, I'm, you know, hanging up my, my cloak of levitation. I'm going to be a, a medical consultant or something. And that didn't last and very long. It didn't last for, it lasted, but it lasted about like 18 months where he didn't appear. And then he came back in Defenders in July of 1971, teamed up with, you know, not so coincidentally, Submariner and Hulk. But then like almost not quite a year later, they finally decided to give him another shot at his own series. And Marvel had three, what we can think of as uh, tryout books, I guess, sort of on the model of DC's old showcase book, which was no longer being published. But Marvel Spotlight, Marvel Feature, and Marvel Premiere. And Marvel Premiere, uh, the first two issues were, were Warlock by Roy Thomas and Gil Kane. Yep. And that was that was moving into its own series, into its own title, I should say. Um, and so that opened up Marvel Premiere. And so they decided we'll try Doctor Strange out and see if he can sustain his own book again. And they got really uh, an A-team of creators for that time in the very unusual uh, circumstance of, of actually featuring their names on the cover. You hardly ever saw creators' names on the cover of a comic book in 1972 uh but this is like by stan lee and barry smith barry windsor smith who was the artist on conan the barbarian yes and probably the hot the hottest artist uh who was doing regular work for marvel at that point point. and stan lee wasn't really writing too much at this time I he was think. not right he was he was down to fantastic four and spider-man in terms of regular assignments and he was about to give both of those up because he was about to get bumped upstairs to publisher for a while. To publisher, and then it was like, 
I don't know. I, I think he'd been looking for a way to get out of, of regular writing for, for some time. But, but Dr. Strange, for whatever reason, you know, I've speculated that maybe it's, you know, just because he wanted to work with, you know, Barry Windsor Smith, yep. who was at that time called Barry Smith, you know, who was the hot, the hot new thing. Uh, or maybe he just had less to really a soft spot in his, in his heart for Dr. Strange. He really wanted to, you know, write, you know, by the roving rings of Ragador or the, you know, mis- misty moons of Min- Munipur or whatever it is, like just one more time. Right. Crimson bands of Ciderac, all that, you know, all that great stuff that, uh, that just stuck in those names that he just sort of made up out of nowhere, but it adds so much to the, you know, to the tenor and tone of those early Doctor Strange stories from the 60s. But at any rate, so, it, but it, but it turned out to be a one-off. It set, set up sort of an ongoing or a large scale story arc um, that would continue on for the next 10 issues or so of, of Marvel premiere. But Lee and Smith only did the, the one-off and um, Barry Windsor Smith would actually said later in an interview that he had plotted the story okay. and drew it. And then Lee came along and wrote a script like that was like a whole different story. <laughs> <laughs> So it's like pretty much sort of, you know, just here are the pictures, like, and I'm going to write what I want to, to go with these pictures. So, but he's, to the best of my knowledge, uh, Windsor Smith has never, has never elaborated on that. Like, this is what I would have done, but it's, uh, it, I think it works just fine, just as it is, to be honest. So. You know, as we're going through this, I'm actually on Mike's Amazing World, which you also use for a reference. Right. It's such a great resource. And again, we did this the last time we were talking about stuff, but I'm just amazed at the amount of diverse comic books that are out there at that time. I mean, you had war, you had Conan, you had romance comics, you had every possible genre represented, not just by DC and Marvel, but some of the older companies like Charlton and Dell was still going on and Gold Key was going on. And a lot of times I, you know, I try to cover a lot of digital and Marvel does a really good job of um, archiving their older comic books. DC still is not very good. I would love to have DC do some of their action comics from the 70s, sure. do some more of their war comics, Absolutely. Um, GI combat, because I think people are missing out on some really great reads. You know, yeah. even, the, even the Flash at this time has not been archived by, by DC. There are just so many great stories that I really hope that the new caretakers of DC, which be Discovery, does a better job of um, archiving some of these older comics because a lot of them are fun reads, you know? And newer fans would actually enjoy my, I believe they would actually enjoy reading some of these older comic books um, that are out there. So that is March, I'm sorry, that's April. And we have now, think, crossed into the realm of May, unless you have anything anything else you wanted to say about... April. On to May. On to May. Okay. What's, what's so exciting about May? Well, first, let me start with the self-correction, because I said earlier that the uh, the 25-cent, 48-page format for DC mm-hmm. continued on into May, and that is not correct. It went, um, it went from June 1971 through April of 1972, which is 11 months. May, everything went to 20 cents, including... Uh, Mr. Miracle Nine, <laughs> which is the the standout DC comic of the month for me, and one of the standouts of the entire Fourth World project, Jack Kirby at DC Comics. 
this is like the second of a of second issue that he had released uh, in the fourth world that was uh, completely a flashback, uh, sort of filling in the history and backstory of the conflict at the uh, at the heart of these of these comics, um, the war between the god planets of eugenesis and apocalypse and this basically is the origin or completes or is a huge hunk at least of the the origin of uh scott free mr miracle whom we had just learned of four or five months ago and new god seven was actually uh the son of high father the leader of eugenesis who had been basically exchanged with orion the son of dark side the, mm-hmm. the the ruler of apocalypse as children, and he has no idea who he is, and he's raised on Apocalypse. Scott Free is in a the orphanage of Granny Goodness, and raised to become like a trooper for Dark Side. And this is how he comes not to re- know who he really is in terms of his his birth identity, but uh, comes to escape from Apocalypse. And it's it's a fairly brutal story. Uh, it includes uh, it's quite a bit of death in it. And it's, but it's also ultimately hopeful and optimistic. It's not my very favorite fourth world story. That actually is New God Seven, but it's a number of other people's favorite. <laughs> and I and I completely understand why. It's just it's it's just it's it's a great comic. And obviously, you have to sort of know the fourth world uh, in general to be able to fully appreciate it. But it's um, it's it's one of the linchpins yeah. and. Do you think yes. DC gave? Do you think DC did a good job of promoting and handling the fourth world stories back then? No, I, I don't think that they did. I don't think they really knew what they had. I think that they sort of expected, you know, we're just going to put Jack Kirby's, you know, name on these books, and everybody who you know liked his stuff at Marvel Comics will just will buy these books and they'll be tremendously successful because they're they are more challenging than some of his Marvel stuff uh, as good as that was. It's, you know, it's a bit more, you know, it's a bit harder sell and yes. they didn't beyond just saying Kirby is here, you know, here's Kirby, uh, Kirby blockbusters, you know, read them. They, they didn't do a lot to promote it. And I think that it could have found an audience. I like to think it could have found an audience and maybe one of those things that was just ahead of its time that no matter what DC had done, it, would not have been able to find a, enough of an audience to be financially successful for the company. But uh, yeah, I think that they could have, that they could have, they could have tried harder. And it's the, the sad thing is, is that just before the end of the year and actually just several months after this, you know, the whole thing comes crashing down. Uh, and I don't want to anticipate you know, a later month, but we're just sort of lucky that Kirby was able, was prescient enough to realize that if I'm going to tell the story of Scott Free's origin, I need to tell it now and at least got that story told before DC pulled the plug on the whole project a few months ago, a few months after this. You also wanted to talk about Ghost Rider. Yeah. But there was almost 150 comic books that came out in (laughs) in that month. Right. How did, what was your criteria to whittle it down to certain comics? That's, yeah, it's what I normally have done or what I continue to do is I you just- had, You had this uh, big dartboard with all these cutout <laughs> covers and you just went from the distance and went, bam, that one, bam. No, it's, 
I, I really, it's really, it's a matter of like what I remember loving or what I still love when I look at a list and I, you know, I've pretty much, you know, Mike's Amazing World, we've talked about that website. It pretty much allows you to just to see when everything came out. Um, so I've got my Excel spreadsheet, you know, with like this chronological release, you know, the books are listed and I go through and I go, yeah, I've got to, I've got to write about that. one. I've, I've got to write. Maybe I'll write about that one. You know, I go, um, I go to Mike's amazing world a lot of times myself just for ideas. Yeah. And I find out that I get lost in the website <laughs> and I, I keep going down rabbit hole. Like, no, no, right. concentrate squirrel, focus, focus on what you're supposed to be doing here. I'm like, right. Oh, this would be good. Oh, look, that's the only, but no, it's, it's a really, yeah. it's an amazing website. It's and, really a and, cool website. And some months are harder than others because there are, there are months when it's like, okay, I think I can, you know, I've got four or five, you know, really interesting comics to talk about this month that will give me at least, you know, one post a week. And then there are others where it's like, uh, I think I'm going to be posting 12 times this month. <laughs> I hope, <laughs> hope I find time to eat and sleep, you know, because um, just, I'm just, I'm at the mercy of, of what was released 50 years ago. Gotcha. If I love it and want to write about it, I have to do it, you know, on that 50, 50th anniversary date, not the exact date, but but close enough. The month, yeah. So yeah, so we have Marvel Spotlight number five. What's so special about Marvel Spotlight number five? This is the debut of the Ghost Rider, not the first character with that name, because the first character with that name was a Western hero who debuted in the 40s. Yes. Uh, 1949, I think. So just barely the 40s. But this is the debut of the Ghost Rider that most people know um, that they made the two movies about. The one who rides a motorcycle or... Well, the current version, I think, drives a car. But anyway, yeah. he's got a cool ride. He's always he's got a cool ride one way or the other. Has the flaming skull, demonic powers, uh, etc. And this is the when that character debuts. It's as I said, it's another one of the showcase Marvel comics. Gary Friedrich wrote the script. Uh, Mike Plug did the art. Plug, Plug did, did he didn't do a whole lot of comic books, did he? He, he was not super prolific and he worked mostly in the horror genre or think or sort of horror adjacent. I mean, Ghost Rider kind of straddles superheroes and horror and it's about the closest he came to a superhero uh, title. Oh. But uh, but he had, yeah, he worked on things like Werewolf by Night and Man-Thing and Ghost Rider. And um, yeah, I, I he's one of those artists that I, I wish had done more well, <laughs> uh, because, because I love yeah. his stuff. Because once upon, there was this thing called the Comics Code that came out in the 1950s that really right. handcuffed comic books for decades. Right. Uh, but in the early 70s, they loosened some of the restrictions, which allowed a sort of a horror comic to come back. That's why you were able to do things like Ghost Rider, you know, Swamp Thing, Man Thing, later on, Dracula, Morbius, because they yes. were able to to finally loosen up the reins and actually be able right. to do more stuff. Right. And that was, yeah. And a lot of really good comics came out of that, that, um, yeah. And it's, it's, I don't know that there is well-remembered. They don't plug in as, as much to current like Marvel universe, you know, yes. continuity as the old superhero stuff. Although if you, you know, if you go to see the Dr. Strange movie and you're curious about the dark hold, that comes out of werewolf by night. 
you know? Yes. Uh, the, the Moon Knight character comes out of Werewolf by Night. So they these books did generate ideas that are still sort of very much part of the Marvel Universe and whatever media uh, incarnation you're dealing with. I just wanted to say one other thing about, yes. about Ghost Rider. It's just, it's, this is, this is actually um, a post that I've been working on recently, uh, the research, and it has, it has been more challenging than I was expecting because there is a more controversy than I'd realized about the creation of the character. After the movie, the first movie with Nicolas Cage came out in 2007, I think. Okay. Uh, or, or about that was. Right, somewhere around there. Yeah, Gary Friedrich uh, sued Marvel for uh, ownership of the character. And that case went on for about four or five years. It was, at one point it was decided against Friedrich. He appealed and then he and Marvel settled. So we'll never really know <laughs> what happened. How, that, how that would have how that would have played out. But his version of how Ghost Rider came to be, and the version that's told by some other people who were involved, such as uh, Roy Thomas, who was uh, Friedrich's friend since high school, and who was and who was an associate editor for for Marvel at that time, about to become editor in chief, and Mike Plug's version. Uh, it just it's it's they they differ in some very interesting ways and again it's sort of i i kind of wish that you know it might have gone all the way to trial but i they it was settled i hope it was settled in a way that that friedrich was happy with just because uh, he passed away several years after that he he died in 2018 after a struggle with parkinson's so but anyway it's a it's a very interesting story and i will just I will refer people to my blog for when that post comes out in late May to uh, for for more details on that. Okay. It's, it's an interesting story. June. Yeah. June of 72 was almost as seismic as Kirby leaving Marvel for DC. Right. June, we touched on this earlier, but yeah, June is is the the month in which, well, at least in which we find out that Stan Lee has become publisher. And will no longer be uh, the frontline editor of, of Marvel Comics. That that job will now be held by Roy Thomas. And the reason we find out is because it's you know it's in the Marvel bullpen bulletins. I don't know if if younger you know younger comics fans even you know know what I mean by Marvel bullpen bulletins. But it was a one page of text uh, column with news items and of course also promotion for, yes. for, for for new comics and the checklist for that month's marvels but at any rate yeah they gave pretty much the entire and that's where stanley wrote his regular column stanley's soapbox or stan soapbox and so pretty much the uh the bullpen bulletins for june was just the entire thing was stan stanley explaining you know this is the phase two of marvel begins now we're going to, you know, I'm going to be working on so many great ideas for, you know, expansion into television and movies and new ways of publishing and everything else. Never actually says in like this three columns of, of text that he's actually, what his new title is. Right. It basically just says, it's going to yeah. be so exciting and great. But at any rate, it's, yeah, it becomes, but that pretty much is where he stops writing, where we start seeing Stan Lee presents at the, uh, in the credit box or at the, you know, or at the top of the, the the first page of every Marvel comic, whereas you know Roy Thomas becomes the editor. Roy Thomas was thirty two and became editor in chief. I didn't think he right. was, I didn't actually didn't think he was that old when he did. Right, that. 
Right. I thought he was a little bit younger, but no, I was, <laughs> I was mistaken. Yeah. Um, Roy Thomas, who was, I believe, editor in chief for about t- two years, two right. to three years. Yeah. And it's, yeah, that's, they're pretty, yeah, they're pretty significant years for Marvel. Yeah. A um, lot happened in those two right. years all the way around. So, right. yes. What else about June? Also, uh, with Marvel, sticking with, with them for now, uh, Steve Englehart, uh, young writer. And I can't tell you exactly how old he was at the time, but he's in his 20s. He begins his run as the writer uh, of Captain America with issue 153. This is the beginning of an almost three-year run, primarily in collaboration with artist um, Sal Bushima. And it's really one of the defining runs for the Captain America character from the 40s on up. It's probably the first, Englehart was the first writer really to sort of like deal with the idea of Captain America as some sort of symbol uh, of the country, as opposed to it just being sort of like, this is his name, this is his costume, he looks like the flag. He fought in World War II, you know. Englehart was um, 25 at that time. 25, thank you. Yes. But anyway, his first storyline is a four-part storyline that basically explains a continuity problem or resolves a continuity problem. Marvel had brought Captain America back in the mid-60s with an explanation that he had been frozen in ice at the end of World War II. The problem with that was that they had published Captain America comics in the 1950s or late 40s and 1950s. So that explanation sort of was like, well, okay, well, what about those comics? This was a four issue storyline that explained who the 1950s Captain America was, which sounds like it's just, okay, just, you know, that's just a real fanish kind of thing. Now, this, is, this is one just for the fans right. um, who care about that sort of continuity issue. But the fact that the fact is, is that um, Englehart looked at those 50s comics, which were sort of very kind of rabidly anti-communist, better, wow. better dead than red and sort of and other sorts of uh, cultural attitudes and and worked that into the storyline. Uh, and we find out this Captain America has been in suspended animation. He's he's uh, he's awakened and then he sort of he comes out and it's like basically starts beating up minorities (laughs) and basically saying basically everybody who's not you know uh white christian uh is uh is probably you know a commie um and a subversive and um so it becomes it's the first time that anybody has really you know dealt with the idea that somebody could take captain america as a patriotic symbol and sort of and, and twist that in a way. And so that actually um, ripples through into the Marvel um, Cinematic Universe with Falcon and Winter Soldier. I believe mm-hmm. those characters actually were worked into the storyline in there. And yeah. uh, they they actually um, also still um, are active in recent years, I think, in the Marvel regular comic books. I think so. Yeah, was, that's yeah, yeah. That's that became part of the, of the history of the character. This the idea, and you know, eventually. Uh, we found out there were like several, you know, interim Captain Americas, not just this one guy, but that there were several people who wore the costume. But yeah, just the whole idea of like, yeah, what does it mean to be Captain America, you know, um, and to have that name, uh, have that shield, what values is that supposed to embody? What does it have? What, if anything, does it have to do with, uh, po- with politics? Um, and that's, that was really the first uh, storyline that did that. So it, it may 
seems somewhat dated. Again, it's important, I think, to look at these comics in the context of their time. Times and when they were and written. And when they were written, it's like, and you just realized nobody had done this before. Um, but, the only other thing I have for June. Uh, wait. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I would like to pause on that and actually keep that a surprise because I actually would like to discuss that a little more in detail. So let's do that. A be to, let's do a to be continued and we'll pick up right. June the next time around. All right. So That'll Alan, work. Alan, yes. you again was amazing. Um, <laughs> I appreciate you coming out to the podcast. Tell them again what your blog is. My blog is Attack of the 50-year-old comic books. It's very and fun, very detailed. Again, the link will be in the uh, podcast show notes. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap this up, Alan? I, I think that'll do it, Ron. I had a good time. Thank you, Alan. And we will continue this again another time. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Again, I would love to hear from you at fantasticcomicfan at gmail.com. Remember, new episodes every Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I hope to see you next time.